None of the content on this or any episode of the Kratom Science Podcast and Kratom Science Journal Club, nor on any of the pages of KratomScience.com, should be considered medical claims or medical advice. This is the Kratom Science Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher, blog and social media writer for KratomScience.com. Your source for all things Kratom. Episode 63, we welcome back Soren Shade of Top Tree Herbs. He produces the new podcast, Clandestine Conversations with Hamilton Morris. This is recorded live in Pittsburgh, and I chew fresh Kratom leaf for the first time. So we're, we're live. We're running. Yeah. We're gunning. All right. Um, yeah, I brought you some uh, fresh leaf kratom. There's about 50 of them. I'm from the north northern peninsula of West Virginia um, in a little town called New Martinsville. Um, our greenhouse is in the area. Um, it's not in New Martinsville. Um, I'm not going to go into any more specifics than that, but we, we call them our Appalachian strain, so as not to get too specific, but also cool. to... To um, you know, honor honor where they're grown. Yeah, you are. You're holding one of the big boys there too. That yeah. one's bigger than your hand. I already put my nose up to it. It doesn't smell like anything, so I'll have this one. <laughs> the flowers of them are so so fragrant. Really? I mean, they're yeah. When whenever our mother tree, which is the one tree we had outside in the summer, was blooming, it. It had hundreds and hundreds of the little spiky ball blooms. They almost look like little coronaviruses. Um, yeah. And there was like two bees per flower. I mean, it was just, it uh, it, it vibrated with humming. I mean, it was wow. so densely packed with pollinators. They absolutely adored it. And it's just wow. guaranteed the first kratom tree that these local honeybees had ever run into their entire life. Yeah. They liked it. I'll grab one that's, as well. Uh, that's another bonus because I, I keep pollinators in my yard like i let the goldenrod grow i Mm -hmm. mow around dandelions we had a ton of honeybees this year that's stuff that's grown out of my wall the stone crop that they love that too they love the goldenrod especially like everything every kind of bee was on that but we had a lot of honeybees i'm probably gonna keep honey up in the corner up here but yeah soren also brought me a little kratom tree and thanks for that yeah a little sapling (laughs) um these are so all of the kratom trees that we have are genetically identical okay none of them have come from seeds yet although we're going to try to propagate some of the seeds from this year um they're all just cuts from the kratom tree so kratom grows in tiny little like bifurcating nodes so every Eight to ten inches, um, it'll split and do a little uh, V, and then those, every eight to ten inches, will split and do a little V. Um, I guess it's more like an upside down peace sign, because it'll continue straight and it'll have these 45 degree offshoots from it, and you can cut um, either right above the node or below the node, and mist it stick it in a little bit of water and it'll have roots coming out of it in two or three days put it in the soil and you'll have um as many clones of that kratom tree as you want that take off growing like like a weed i mean it's it's remarkable um so we have probably 300 of them right now in the greenhouse um rooting over the winter and the goal is to be able to offer 
um, Kratom saplings to anyone who'd like to grow it themselves. Yeah. Because uh, rumor has it, you know, we might not be able to sell Kratom in a year or so. Um, <laughs> so if uh, suddenly thousands of people were growing it, that would be a, just horrible for the law, wouldn't it, <laughs> to have so many empowered Kratom people out there. Yeah, yeah. I would, I mean... I mean, once it's once once the saplings are out of our greenhouse, we we don't have any control over yeah. whether or not people decide to uproot them in the event of a ban or anything. So I would hate hate for anyone to break the law, of course. But yes, I do think it's a good idea right now to get a kratom sapling and grow it yourself and be self sufficient. Yeah. it's it's been a long. I've, I mean, I've been doing this podcast for three years. I'm, it's I'm overdue to start growing kratom. So thanks for bringing that. Of course, I'm definitely gonna grow it. And what do you think about like home grow laws? Because home grow of marijuana is a big issue that we're talking about in the state right now. And there's a lot of pro legalization politicians and they won't say a word about home grow. Um, it's kind of different with Kratom, I think, because I think to grow your own supply, you'd probably have to have like a mini forest of trees, wouldn't you? Well, I, w- I would have thought that previously as well, especially in the um, like micronized powder paradigm yeah. where it just looks like a ton of product and ground up in a powder and a little in a, a little pile. Yeah. Um, so we're we're looking at these leaves right now. Obviously, the listener can't see that, but you know they're about the size of our hand. They weigh on average about one and a half grams. Um, they're about seventy percent water weight. Yeah. Put put it on the microphone and yeah. <laughs> it's a nice little hat for my yeah. Uh, if there's any dolphins out mic. there, go ahead and use some echolocation and you can see it. <laughs> Um, not the right medium to express this, but they, it, it will, it, it dries out to be about a half gram. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess that's, everyone's different, but myself personally, I chew on about three leaves, which in dried weight is like one and a half to two grams. And that, that's plenty for me. Yeah. And these kratom trees will put on... I haven't counted them yet. I'm, I'm going to be doing that tomorrow, actually. I'm, I'm picking up some dry ice while I'm in Pittsburgh, and I'm going to be putting on... I'm going to be documenting from where on the tree and which tree I'm plucking the leaves and putting them on dry ice, and they'll be sent to Dr. Grunman and our lab oh, cool. partner um, in Austin, Sante Labs, tomorrow, and they're going to do some analysis on them and, and just and really poke into them. But I'm going to count how many leaves are on the trees tomorrow, and I send them this information. I'm guessing upwards of a 1,000 yeah. of these three-year-old trees. You can strip an entire branch of its leaves, get about 50 leaves from it, give it about a week, and that tree will be completely filled with leaves again. Wow. I mean, it's remarkably, you could probably have, if you were a moderate Kratom consumer using, I get everyone consumes it differently, so that the route of administration is completely different. But, you know, myself, I would be able to sustain myself on one very small tree with a daily use pattern of maybe three to nine leaves. So, it, it's actually pretty sustainable, I think, for the long-term um, personal use and home grow. I think the reason it's not a big issue is because no one's been successful growing kratom in the United States before. So yeah. that's you know that's one of the reasons why we're doing all this research with scientists and we our greenhouse is just fixed in all kinds of temperature sensors and all sorts of stuff so that we can put together very comprehensive how to grow your own kratom um, and empower people to be able to do it. Um, 
you know where it's previously been a, a, a black box of knowledge yeah 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 that's awesome so how are you still working with uh grunman on that on that survey yes we are okay we um it's it's going quite well and we're having some difficulties with it at the same time um so we're still hoping for more responses we, we need more responses okay. of the um top tree teabag associated responses okay. we have thousands and thousands of people that came in um who are passionate about kratom who left um who, who filled out the 25 minute story or survey and, and we're very yeah. grateful for them doing that but We've been doing a lot of analytical back work in the background, um, measuring seven different kratom alkaloids, everything from tragenine to speciophylline to isorhynchophylline to mitri- yeah. um, mitrigine, um, no, mitrophylline, um, corinoxine, A, B, uh, a, a lot of different kratom alkaloids. And we know exactly the different milligram ratios in each of our tea bags by strain on nice. that. And the point is that we're going to hopefully associate this quanti- quantitative data of the alkaloid distribution in the product across yeah. a mass response people ba- using what their reported effects were from this type of tea yeah. bag, what they use this tea bag for, and then us try to make sense of oh people with x um issue or desire lean on the products that have 2x isorhynchophylline in it okay. as opposed to the people that are looking for why they look for the ones that are speciogynine heavy that's an interesting thing to leapfrog some more um to, to jumpstart some some different um, research um, further down the road. This is yeah. kind of like a very broad strokes thing. We have about a hundred, about a hundred surveys right now. Dr. Grunman would like us to have about two fifty that are teabag related, and we're working on some things all across the board. Um, stuff with Hamilton coming out as well. They're going to hopefully try to encourage more responses for this. But we have a year, and we're really not all that worried about missing that. The only issues that we've been running into is that we suddenly really wanted to hurry it along whenever the UN trial and hearing came up and we were like, oh, this would be great information to present to them. Um, several hundred people, several thousand people talking about how the safety of it and yeah, yeah. how it's not affected them poorly. Um, but unfortunately, we didn't hit that deadline because that wasn't a deadline that we knew existed when we first started. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. And they only gave like 17 days and then... They had to be sued to extend it by the AKA. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we, we can get into that Which, in a bit. It was an absolute mess. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, okay, let's... Let's, let's uh, enjoy this. Yeah. yeah. What do, you, do you tear the stem yeah, off? Yeah, de-stemming it. And you're yeah. doing it just the same way I did the first couple hundred that I pulled uh, yeah. myself. Or you, you end up <laughs> destroying the leaf in the process of de-stemming it. But the, the, nothing in the stem is bad. Like, when we mill these for... Yeah. Our, our tea bags, the stem stays in it, and the petiole and all that is a part of the product. It's not bad for you. It's just it can tear up the inside of your mouth, so that's why it's pulled uh, out. Okay. So, so what we then do is uh, <laughs> I screwed it up. I hope that sounded as good as it good as it sounded it to me. Sounded on a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think we got. I think we heard it. All right. We just roll it up like roll a, it up in a little quid, and then we're gonna <laughs> just put it in our mouth and try not to chew on it 
too much because you chew on it too much and you start getting like little leaf pieces that you're spitting out and okay. 20 minutes it's, it's not a problem but yeah you stick it in your mouth and okay yeah and i just really it's the, the whole chewing on it is just to like push saliva in it and out of it i can see so so brian's face right now is kind of puckered <laughs> up um <laughs> It tastes like a leaf on any tree. <laughs> like that on you any get tree, yeah. Fresh, and then you kind of just get saliva coming in and out of it, and you will swallow some of that saliva. But you want to concentrate any kind of pooled saliva under your tongue, where you have those two mm-hmm. giant um, blood vessels. To, I mean, we've already chewed on it enough. Mm. Um, so I don't know. We do have to spit it out, I and mean, we did not prepare for this. There's a garbage can. Don't grab that. <laughs> I'm definitely starting to get some of the bitter. When you start getting a strong bitter liquid, play around with that for a little bit, and your mouth will start to go. No, oh, no, I'm gonna go ahead and spit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you put the whole thing out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. It, so. Mine. Mine is like a million pieces. Yeah. And yours is like. One piece. <laughs> well, this okay. is this is probably the hundredth leaf I've chewed this week. Yeah. I've been I've been harvesting this entire week and it's manual labor and I'm standing on my feet a lot on gravel and my back starts to hurt and I get a little yeah. tired. And there's nothing better in the world than just picking the leaf from the tree that you're harvesting from, rolling it up, chewing it, and then feeling a little better after thirty minutes or so. <laughs> Yeah. So it takes about the same time as like uh, I've I've a tea. I've noticed um, some instant um, effect from some very potent leaves, but usually it's about about fifteen twenty minutes, depending on how how uh, how numb my mouth is is really like yeah. the first indicator. But I I will chew on two or three in a row to get to get. Um, the effect I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> it really like, does taste like any old leaf yeah. on a tree. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't taste... Uh, I mean, it's not bad. It's just like... Yeah, if you're... Uh, if you <laughs> put a random leaf in your mouth when you're a kid or something. Yep, that was it. <laughs> They're nice and green looking. Like, like It looks like that was healthy for me. I mean... Lots of chlorophyll in there. <laughs> yeah. Chlorophyll's good for you. Yeah, so these are great to just chew on. Um, we've got racks and racks and racks of them drying right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I put four, three, three to five of those in a thermos, some lemon, yeah. um, boiling water, cap it, 20 minutes. And it is a really fine tea. It's, really? It's, it's incredibly... Pleasurable. It's a little yeah. less bitter than um, a standard tea bag would be, and I find the effects to be um, definitely more in the alert range than any of the other effects that kratom typically presents. So now, is that because the dried leaf has more seven hydroxy in it? These are all questions that will hopefully be answered yeah. very soon. So yeah, our our lab, um, our partner lab in Austin, Texas, Sante Laboratory. They are phenomenal, really scientifically um, oriented people. They do GCMS testing on our kratom leaves for us, and they show us 
eight different alkaloids that are present yeah. and what the exact like the hundredth percentage of um different yeah of um of the alkaloids are in them so i i wish i could i should pull this up and we can talk about it later but yeah, we will. We will know if this is speciogynine heavy, or if this yeah. is mitrophylline heavy, or if there's isoranchylphylline in it, or if there's not any mitragynine in it, but there's a whole lot of something else in it. Yeah, because that seemed to be the issue that McCurdy was having back in um, whenever he was growing himself and never tested. He, he never found any mitragynine in in the in the yeah. that they tested for. But I'm not sure if they tested for anything but. Metragenine. This is when he was still at Mississippi, right? I believe. Yeah. yeah. I, was it? Was he in Mississippi, or was it a satellite campus of? UC- he was at yeah. Old Miss originally. Okay. Uh, transcribing it, um, uh, Lance Lance uh, McMahon, uh, the head of pharmacodynamics down there. Um, I'm transcribing in a podcast I did with him, but he was telling the whole story about. McCurdy and Bonnie Avery coming over to Florida. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was also talking about it. it's. It's they don't know either uh, exactly what's going on yet, because uh, he was talking about. Well, we haven't really found any seven hydroxy in the uh, original fresh leaf plant material anywhere. Mm-hmm. He was talking about um, some folks in Germany were looking at it, and they never found any. And but it might get there because you're adding oxygen to uh, to uh, mitragenine, so that that might occur with the drying process. Mm-hmm. But are you gonna are you gonna be selling the the dried material in tea bags? That that is ultimately the goal. Um, yeah. we really want to make it available for everyone because we're super excited as uh, excited for it as a product. We think yeah. other people will be as well. But we don't. We we're not gonna sell it until we get like these two to three different lab separate confirmations that um so we know what's in it and we also want to know what's not in it um yeah our greenhouse is very safe it's been used for um like historically tomatoes and cucumbers and yeah. uh, just like a, a nursery um for a business that's been running for 20 30 years now um, oh cool and there's never been an issue with um there are any kind of contaminants in the plant but if there's a if if kratom is a bioaccumulator kind of like cannabis is then we just need to be very cautious that there wasn't um it wasn't built on a foundation of a house that had asbestos or there's no um heavy metals um from uh, volcanoes uh, in West Virginia. From volcano or or a compost <laughs> pile that might have been contaminated with some fossil fuel or some oil or something that got spilled on at off. time. Yeah, mine, yeah, it's West Virginia. Um, <laughs> so we're just gonna do run these tests. We're pretty confident they're gonna be clean, but we're not gonna yeah. sell it unless we get until we get these tests run. So. I can feel my tongue is a little numb. Yeah, I'm deaf. I, I, you, when you were talking about transcribing, um, I got my alert. And I'm like, oh, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. I, and I can see why uh, they added sugar to that. Uh, Most certainly. It yeah. takes some time getting used to. It. <laughs> but eventually you kind of just associate the the effect with the flavor. And then very quickly my brain just switched yeah. and I started really um, finding a lot of pleasure in, in chewing on the leaves and drinking my tea black I suppose you'd yeah. say uh, I'll definitely uh, have to try a tea with uh, these probably tomorrow but, you have uh, a, a, like an Instapot or a pressure cooker by any chance? yeah well, yeah both okay yeah 
Yeah, I would. Uh, I would. I, I. I like to put five to ten. I mean, it depends on how many people and how many beverages you want, what strength, and what yeah. you're going for. But I like to put a decent amount of fresh leaves in in a instapot and then like put it on an oatmeal setting and just get the pressure really high for a little while and then let it come down naturally and i find that's a great way to get a really potent brew in a short period of time because in thailand in in indonesia um southeast asian countries whenever they make um a kratom tea to drink themselves or to share among um group of friends family for the recreational purposes or for productivity purposes they have a pot boiling with 10 to 50 leaves depending on the amount of people for two to three hours yeah just to really facilitate the extraction um and an instapot you can cut down the needed boiling period to 10 15 minutes yeah just by Utilizing the ideal gas law. So they are good for something. Because <laughs> my wife got one f- through some point system in her work, but uh, she put a chicken in it. And I'm like, no, no, chickens are meant to, no, this isn't working. It's too quick. The meat was too, it, was, it didn't work. So we really haven't used it for a lot. <laughs> it serves me very good. well for yeah. rice, beans, Quinoa and croton tea. Nice. What else do you need in life? Rice and beans. I I can see that. Because, yeah, as long as they come out soft, they're good. I mean, it's America. You can shoot someone and get a less sentence than having, like, a half-smoked joint thrown in your car by the cop that pulled you over for speeding. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a backwards um, legal prioritization. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, movies uh, nudity's a lot worse than uh, severed heads. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, if we really want to deconstruct um, the the value systems that we're raised on, I yeah. mean, it's backwards. We, you know, we got we got to do some uh, like talk therapy to that inner Puritan that like the American legacy is built on. Yeah. Come here, work hard. Pleasure's bad. Pain is good. Yeah. Um, just aspect. Of, Dr. Hart had a great quote. Um, I think he was quoting a professor, or um, might have been Santiana, um, or a journalist of some sort. But this was this was kind of like the the kernel of truth that he thought underlied America's prohibitionist bent, which yeah. was. Um, and I'm paraphrasing here in America someone's always worrying that someone else is having fun or feeling good yeah yeah. and and I mean it's irrational but that does seem to really kind of be the crux of so much yeah really I don't want to use flagrant language in this public recording but it pisses me off <laughs> yeah no you're allowed to <laughs> i'm allowed i mean i'm allowed to I, I if just it gives you pleasure be more respectful and, and be thoughtful of it and not just be reduced to screaming like obscenities at yeah power greater than me <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> Feels good, right? Yeah, I told you about some emails I sent to some people of before course. we recorded, because uh, I perceive them as authority figures and that aren't necessarily interested in, in the right interests. But anyway, we're not gonna talk about that. 
<laughs> you know, I like the the uh, the podcast that you, that you let me carry on um, on our feed uh, about the survey. Uh, Hamilton opened with, you know, there's so many people that are on quitting kratom, and they kind of thought that this wasn't gonna give them any problems. They could take as much as possible. And there's a lot of people who just don't want to talk about that side of it, uh, that some people can develop a bad habit. And I thought that was a good place to start. It's kind of like, I think kind of like what you're doing with it, with Top Tree is kind of promoting responsible use. Like, we have leaves here. I, I could probably chew this whole bag of leaves if I wanted to, but it's kind of like the method of administration kind of keeps you not... <laughs> wanting to it's a lot it'd be a hell of a lot of work to get a too much of a buzz off of this bag of leaves here right but uh just the same with the tea i guess but mm-hmm. i we kind of talked about this a little in the first one it's just kind of people are just gobbling too much and probably the harm reduction uh pro legalization side kind of has a responsibility to promote responsible use uh like we all know we can uh, a couple glasses of wine is better than drinking a whole bottle of whiskey uh, totally i mean i love the idea behind the whole harm reduction movement yeah but i think the politics of the name is it, it's obvious that it's heralding from a prohibitionist legacy and i think that we should strive for um a social arrangement where it's not considered harm reduction, but rather enjoyment optimization. Yeah, You're yeah. going to have more fun on the... Most people will have more fun, and I think in terms of long-term sustainability, all people have more fun on that two to three glasses of wine night yeah. than a bottle and a half. Yeah. Yes, that's harm reduction, not have a bottle and a half of Jameson, rather have <laughs> two and a half glasses of some red um red wine but yeah um you know it's not you're not just trying to reduce the harm in that situation yeah yeah you're trying to optimize the enjoyment and the pleasure you get out of it and i think the same thing comes from you know and you know you can completely flip it from the hardest drug of them all alcohol that we're just talking about yeah. to um perhaps a softer drug i mean this obviously the soft heart is uh, just a foolish dichotomy and a shouldn't even been using this that legacy yeah. prohibitionist legacy language but like caffeine on the other hand you're gonna have more pleasure and enjoyment out of coffee if you're not having four or five hour energies in a day yeah, but yeah. instead you're having a, maybe a cup of coffee in the morning and then a, a refill mid-afternoon for some boost it's yeah. it's optimization of pleasure and the enjoyment of it um and you're reducing the harm simultaneously. So in regards to Kratom specifically, yeah, the, the uh, route of administration, the method that you're using, um, like a bitter, uh, bitterish liquid, like a tea, um, that it has some built-in inefficiencies in the extraction process, um, gonna have a, in my opinion, a more pleasurable time with that um, than you are if you're swallowing bunch of powder in a protein shaker with some yeah. some orange juice um even if the effects are the same you know you're having you're you're minimizing the stuff that you're taking that isn't necessary um all the 
the the powdered leaves that can lead to some nausea or stomach upsetness or um, difficult bowel movements um, it's not in there if you're chewing and spitting a leaf or if you're making tea yeah yeah um, yeah so it's it's enjoyment and pleasure optimization yeah. rather than harm reduction but I mean that's not disregarding the fact that people can fall into a hard rut with kratom use yeah yeah um and yeah i do think that there is some things to blame in regards to prohibition the lack of education that people were receiving around how to use it properly um like in thailand and in the, in the areas where i always say thailand as the the, the, the example because yeah um that's where a lot of the ethnopharmacological research comes from but there is a, there's a culture around proper consumption of kratom um that's not here um yeah. you know people can begin using kratom in the united states in adx extract forms from smoke shops whereas in thailand or indonesia you're not ever going to accidentally stumble upon kratom in an adx formulation you're going yeah. to come across it from a family member or a friend who has experienced using it, who was taught how to use it. And it's legal now there. Uh, yeah. Do you do you know anything about, you know, what, what whether we're going to be able to get uh, uh, Kratom from Thailand and uh, start using it? Because I've heard, I mean, the one thing I've heard about it in one of the studies um, that I think uh, Darshan Singh did out of University of Malaysia, University of Science Malaysia, um, is... Uh, Norm MacDonald. I worked down at the University of uh, Science there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I am going to put them in there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they found that, you know, Malaysian Kratom had 12% mitragenine. Thai Kratom had 66% mitragenine. By weight. By I, sixty-six percent of alkaloids, it was was uh, my tragedy, and twelve percent of alkaloids was in in Malaysian kratom. So that's going to be interesting if they if if it's that high of a tragedy and they um, start drying it out and shipping it to the United States. I don't know if it'll be you know mm-hmm. stronger or. You know, or yeah. in my case, I would use less of it if it was stronger. Um, but that'll be, I'm sure there's probably American businessmen over there right now trying to buy up some uh, uh, cheap property with uh, kratom trees on it. But uh, Yeah, I've heard that there is a um, big extraction plant being, I don't know if a plant's the right word for it, but an extraction facility being set up there oh, to really? do concentrates and stuff and I guess to for the the purpose of shaving saving on shipping, yeah. So shipping from Thailand to to the U.S. just to have it in concentrate form already. Um, but I'm not all too cued in to it from there. My yeah yeah all all of this my attention's been focused on this the UN WHO stuff as of as of late. But that's so interesting. Ah man, I'm gonna have to go if maybe you can put it in the show notes or maybe just send it to me personally afterwards but I would love to read that Darshan Singh article comparing the concentrations of metragenine in Thai and Indonesian ones um, but yeah I could send it to you but what uh, so what do you think about the whole WHO UN thing I, <laughs> I, I get like a, a really like anxious 
lump in my stomach whenever I think about it is, is mostly what it is. I feel like a full body, no, please, why are you doing this um, yeah. reaction to it? Um, I think it's... I think it's really complicated and confusing, yeah. um, and I think there's a whole lot of speculation that can be had as to just why um, this is in front of the WHO and the UN right now, who of the US parties are responsible for it being in front of the UN WHO's plate, you know, a lot of this is really speculation but i think you know the stuff that is fact that we can talk about and share with the public is that and you've said this a hundred times before and we're all very grateful for you saying this in the community that kratov is not going to be illegal tomorrow it's not going to be illegal in early december whenever they make the announcement as to whether or not they will dismiss kratom or they'll have their one-year review with an extra committee that they'll put together um yeah, so Kratom's not going to be made illegal tomorrow. But I guess going over the timeline would be a good idea. Um, we are past the point of soliciting for petition signatures on the Federal Register. Yeah. We are past the point of presenting arguments to the WHO, um, their hearing, and we are currently all waiting for them to put together their um, findings and their recommendations of what next to do for Kratom, Phenibut, the plethora of synthetic yeah, cannabinoids, yeah. and um, I think one or two synthetic cathinones, um, and maybe an opioid or two in that. Which are called bath salts. That's the cathinones, right? L- lovingly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, all it's from the cat from plant, plant. Yeah. Which is also chewed also as leaf chewed. originally. Yeah. Um, which this is also like pausing for a second um, on the Kratom. It, damn shame that all of this, all those other innocent substances are being swept um, it, by this ban as well and receiving no attention. I mean, yeah. for one, um, you know, synthetic cannabinoids get a lot of bad rap. Um, be- I, w- I went out and bought some fena, but because I because yeah. I don't know what it does, and uh, I, I'm gonna I have an, I'm gonna study it a little more before I try it. But I think it's a I think it's a GABA uh, yeah. thing, which I I thought maybe it would help me quit drinking, but I haven't had that much of a drink in a few weeks, uh, so I don't really need it. So I'm not gonna take. It. But I just got it just in case it's out. It's going to be outlawed. I just wanted to get some. I, I really like Fenibut. Um, really? Both from a historical, like, cultural, like, removed looking at it phase and also from uh, taking it myself. Yeah. Um, it it's, was originally developed um, for Russian cosmonauts to deal with anxiety going to space. Oh, wow. Um, and then it was prescribed for a time in Russia. Um, it is got a phenethylamine structure to it which comes from mescaline and more commonly seen in 2cb um but it is primarily gaba a gaba b um i think it's just acts as a gaba a gaba b in the brain and it takes about two and a half three hours to kick in and then it's like eight hours of anti-anxiety um it's of all the different nootropics out there this one 
in my experience most closely um fits the like what you have in your mind when you think of nootropic of like Mm, this gives me more confidence and increases my verbal fluidity and um, uh, makes my attention sharper. Um, mm. It, I think, can have all that. Um, it can also, I mean, it's, it's a. I don't want to just laud praise on Fenibute the whole time, but it helps a lot of people with a lot of different things. It also has recreational value. Um, mm. It can be addictive if you use it for like a daily for a week or two on end in which case it can be very hard to get off of and mm. it can lead to seizures and stuff when you quit yeah. untimely so you got to obviously you just have to know what you're doing to optimize your enjoyment yeah yeah and but i mean you know fenibute is wonderful and it's probably a hundred multi hundred million dollar market in the united states these synthetic cannabinoids that are also going to be made illegal um, they might have seen around the head shop or two as a spice agent but they you know usually these are just compounds that some research chemist made a little patent for described how to make it this shows the pharmacology in rats that it is a cannabinoid based on the structure you also expect it to be a cannabinoid and then it'll just be picked up by some netherland or chinese lab and then hits the market for two to three months and then it gets yeah. put on a regulatory bill and it's made illegal and that's it for this compound and this compound could who knows we're not allowed to research it anymore after made it legal could be a very valuable medicine or therapeutic agent or research tool a lot of good has come from synthetic cannabinoids um not whenever they're sprayed on the sage and then sold to teenagers at gas stations in uneducated context a lot of good hasn't come that way but you know of the many things that synthetic cannabinoids have taught us so far is one that a full cannabis cannabinoid agonist can result in death that's not something that scientists ever knew until these synthetic cannabinoids hit the market and they're overdoses related to it and we learned a whole new thing about one of the largest um largest systems in the body the cannabinoid system um through this compounds and they're just being made illegal because it's the hot topic thing to do yeah same with these synthetic cathodes they're considered bath salts um you know, there's some absolute wonderful compounds that are synthetic cathinones, like 3-MMC, 4-MMC. These are compounds that could probably rival MDMA yeah. in PTSD antidepressant treatments if used properly, if the right study is around it, if in a medical context with research and stuff. But instead, that is unilaterally being made illegal. And yeah. that's honestly one of, been, one of the most frustrating things about this whole UN, WF, or F, FDA... Um, and WHO ban uh, yeah. process is that I don't want to f- concentrate all my energy on just protecting Katam. I want to be anti-prohibitionist everywhere because yeah. I think prohibition of anything could ignorantly in the future not being able or in the present not being able to foresee the future um, you know cause some issues. There's going to be a researcher that is looking into treating cancer pain and he thinks that potent cannabinoids are the best bet to do it yeah well now there's 500 illegal compounds that he's not allowed to look into yeah yeah or she is allowed to look into um i mean it's 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 really the prohibition has never ever ever solved any of the problems it attempts to fix yeah or it claims to fix 
But sorry, that was my tangent. Um, <laughs> that was a good tangent. On why Tom <laughs> isn't the only one to focus on. But yeah. The, uh, so early December, the WHO will make a statement for all of the compounds that are on the docket. Yeah. And say whether or not that there's no reason for them to suspect that there's abuse potential, whatever, and that it wasn't right for it to be brought up to them and that it can go on being the way it is and that that's it. And that would be the best case scenario for, they look at all the evidence they hear this and say, hey, this is all kinds of overblown. Kratom isn't deserving of this kind of scrutiny and review. We don't need to do an expert committee on drug dependency. We don't need to have them look at this. Um, more than likely, they're going to come out and say, all right, we're going to spend a year. We're going to put together an expert committee on drug review, and they're going to look at all the literature on Kratom. They're going to be given some money, and they're going to do some sort of testing on Kratom, and they're going to figure out whether or not it should be made banned illegally. We'll get back to you in a year. Yeah, yeah. And in that year, I'm sure the AKA is going to ask for $1,000 from each and every person <laughs> to go towards some sort of... Um, petitioning or lobbying or science that will be presented to them and i'm sure that there's going to be a bunch of businesses in the industry on both sides um that are going to just be piling on money and science to this expert panel i mean it's it's really just a waste of resources it it, it really is i mean i wonder if there's anything more important or pressing in the world that they could focus on right now <laughs> nah, no, it's definitely drug hysteria is the most important thing to dedicate our research to. Um, valuable time of the scientists. Let's look at yeah, really a, a, a leaf that's been used for hundreds of years, if not millennia, and see whether or not that it's. I mean, you can't even put into words how how. St- how stupid it is to be a prohibitionist. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, it's going to be like eight people that are considered expert scientists by the UN deciding whether or not Kratom will be illegal over the course of a year. And because we live in a neoliberal age, I imagine that these people are going to be subject to an absolute boatload of lobbying and money and, yeah. and attempts to influence. And they're yeah. Eight people who are publicly named as being responsible for the fate of a multi-billion dollar industry like it's yeah. gonna get messy that's my prediction and so we'll we'll have to outlaw it if they do because we're part of that agreement right if after yeah, yeah. so in you know the worst case scenario for early december would be that it goes into a year review and then fast forward a year year review comes by and they say we are corrupt we accepted a lot of money and therefore kratom <laughs> is made illegal um and we don't know how to read proper peer-reviewed articles um the united states will be treaty bound to to follow that and tom will be made um illegal in the united states for presumably import growth and sale except in what the five kcpa states who are kind of be out of luck unless they somehow got kratom saplings and were able to grow them themselves in which case yeah, really i would imagine it's kind of, it would be like a cannabis situation yeah um, our federalist system's very intriguing because we've got these nested layers of independence where the municipality has a layer of independence and then yeah. the county and then the states and then the state has its own constitution and then we've got yeah. our federal system and the federal system has its own constitution and then we have this myth of some international law which is really yeah. just whatever the u.s says goes for 153 other countries but um yeah who knows how it's gonna play out other than 
Um, I don't think... I don't think too many other substances that have been put in front of the UN or the WHO for this purpose have have come out of it um, still legal. Really? Okay. I mean, it's it's just... I mean, Kratom is the only substance in United States history um, that was put on the Federal Register with an intent to ban and was eventually revoked and yeah. revoked. And I think Kava actually managed to fare well. I, you know, I, I might regret saying this because I, I didn't look into it as well. But I think I think Kava might have made it out of the other end of this expert review in positive light, where they're like, actually, this liver damage is a little liver damage claims is a little bit. Um, um, exaggerated, um, and it's yeah. not um, a menace. And what about Tylenol and alcohol? They like they never, they have an exception for tobacco and alcohol. I was looking at yes, the, the WHO in the yeah, because it was written in sixty one and seventy one. So they were all they're, sipping on scotch like, and smoking yeah. cigarettes while they were writing. They're like, of thing. course not this. <laughs> so it's completely irrational. I don't unless they are stemming know. from a place of simply wanting to ensure that no one else is having fun or feeling pleasure around them unless they're coming from that place it's irrational but if like Hart you know tried to try to get the class to think of that the prohibitionist mindset is coming from a place of just trying to keep pleasure from other people yeah then it all kind of starts making sense yeah really it's like "Mm, you know caffeine is really good for productivity and work and it doesn't make me feel all that good, um, but smoking on a joint might make me, you know, stop working after six, seven hours. I'm a little tired. I'll probably be more productive tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to think something philosophical and then yeah. fall asleep. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. That, this guy's feeling good and he's not making us any money. No, no, no. This, this stuff is illegal. And it's like, then things start to make sense. And, and all of this is, of course, just like for comedic effect like drastically reducing like the historical like <laughs> facts behind like why these things are illegal but yeah, yeah. like they all kind of do really have this as a common feature behind them if it causes yeah. pleasure then illegal I don't know Michael Pollan was talking about it and I think <laughs> is it the industrial revolution coffee yeah um, yeah, yeah 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 that's an yeah. interesting one where People were commonly like drinking alcohol through the whole day. Um, like Benjamin Franklin in his autobiography wrote that he would help his whenever he was like a young guy working, yeah. he would help um, his coworkers, his comrades, like um, save money by convincing them not to get trashed at lunch before they go back to work and yeah. spend all their <laughs> pennies on 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 alcohol before yeah, going yeah. back to work and then making had a little bit more money um because the belief was you needed a strong work to do uh, sorry you needed a strong drink to be strong to do hard work yeah yeah strong drink be strong boom 1780 yeah. brain rationality connects <laughs> um and you know, there's the same kind of rationality and use of alcohol is prevalent in, in europe and, and and britain at the time i very quickly read Pollen's latest book and i'm some some entrepreneur decided to start introducing coffee and tea breaks yeah. in the middle of the day and then suddenly saw increased productivity. Yeah. And then boom. I mean, so he would, he, he would give them free introduced. coffee. Yeah, yeah. 
And I mean, Kratom should be uh, in that category. We we should convince, uh, you know, all the all the uh, titans of industry that Kratom increases productivity. Yeah. And and it tastes terrible, so they're not getting any pleasure out of it. I promise. <laughs> yeah, especially now you do these things, know. right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I. That's an interesting lens to look at things through. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I wonder if the receding numbers of blue-collar jobs in the United States um, has any relationship with Kratom slowly losing um, its legal setting, whereas things like LSD and psilocybin um, having productivity enhancement for jobs like coding in the tech sector suddenly <laughs> suddenly there being way more tech sector jobs you know oh wow this is a productivity enhancing drug for these jobs and we need this so slowly yeah. that starts being introduced in the legal <laughs> yeah, this, this is a conspiracy of, of, of capitalism of course yeah, yeah. It's all things <laughs> Uh, it's, it's an interesting lens. Um, yeah. When I'm trying to explain what it is to people and they think it's just some, uh, you know, a horrible, dangerous drug. And I'm like, there's a lot I see on Reddit all the time on, on Arkatom that, you know, a lot of people are like, should I bring it with me when I'm flying? I'm going on vacation. Should I bring this with me? And I, I'm always like, it's not illegal. I don't eat just do it out in the open and the, uh-huh. like some people are like oh my wife doesn't know i do this and uh, you know I, i'm always like why it's not illegal you should do it out in the open and make it normal right there's always that <laughs> yeah well i mean that it kind of makes sense you know just by association of you're going to um a windowless head shop or smoke shop yeah. you're going in and there's a lot of um paraphernalia for these <laughs> drugs that you have been culturally persuaded to believe are bad and should be kept out of the light and dark and associated with that is a minimally packaged zero backstory containing micronized green powder that you shovel down your throat and there is a consciousness change it's yeah. like okay this is this is something i need to be quiet about and be ashamed of and keep hidden and i definitely can't be on an airplane with whereas if i walk into your house with a tiny little sapling and a ziploc bag full of trees <laughs> of leaves that look like poplar leaves yeah. um you know there's not going to be any shame or embarrassment associated with that it's going to yeah. be a Oh, this is an interesting herb. Let's uh, pop it in the mouth and chew it and see what it looks like. And I, I can do that with anything, uh, for with anyone. And we were at a, a music festival the beginning of the summer, and we were making fresh kratom leaf tea. We were making tea from the tea bags, and we had a pile of fresh leaves there for people to chew on. And we had the trees, and because we had the trees, because we had the leaves, because we had the tea bags, because it was all set up and pretty, and we knew the history and the backstory, and we told everyone, there was no one that we ran into that had any sort of fears in trying it and tasting it the first time. You know, a lot of people did what you did when you chewed on the leaf, their yeah. mouth got real tiny and they puckered up and they went, oh, no, 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 yeah. no. A lot of people turned us down on taste alone, but there was no guilty consciousness in the way. There was no self-righteousness or there's no sensation that people were breaking from an identity of a law-abiding, rule-following, yeah. good citizen that they think that they are. You know, yeah. they're, they're, not, they're not having to 
change their identity by doing a drug when they're yeah. looking at a fresh leaf or they're drinking on tea. Whereas you go to a head shop and everything just all around you screams, gray area market, we are just barely legal. Everything in this store is 18 years old in one day. Ooh. Um, no, you don't have that. Like it's, uh, <laughs> it's, um, it's a it's a tree and it's a leaf and that's that that is that's really kind of our mission is we I mean we're we're, we're just trial and erroring here anti prohibitionist tactics yeah. and kratom is a really easy one because it works um, it's not dangerous it's got a robust history of use and absolutely every thing about kratom in the United States is just bad for its PR right now. Yeah. Being micronized powder, not having a backstory, um, being associated with a group of people who are just getting trounced by the media, it's being opioid addicts, meth addicts, uh, unemployed, just people who are just actually down on their luck, left behind by society, um, yeah. who have found themselves into some substance abuse issues or maybe just using substance to feel better and it's not actually an issue for them and we should let them keep doing anything but anyway it's now associated with a a class of people that is is being looked upon by a lot of people i mean it's just all bad pr for kratom and the idea is that there's no reason kratom should have this bad pr should be very easy to break this alienated relationship that we have with Kratom here in the United States by just simply demonstrating that it's a tree, it's a leaf, it is tea. This is the carving in the Buddhist temple from 1826 that is the oldest written historical documentation of Kratom use. More than likely it's been used for millennia. That's what Pascal Tangue believes. He believes it's yeah. been used for uh, he said 8,000 years in the podcast, which, wow. in, which I don't know of any sources for that. I don't know, but <laughs> um, you know what? Hey, pa- I, he knows more about it than I do. So yeah. I, I, will, I will cite it as Pascal Tanguay believes that Kratom has been used for over 8,000 years. Yeah. You know, I think that in 8,000 years of use, if it was better to just swallow it, that, you know, they would because... Yeah. Thousands of years in use in the Amazon, they know that, okay, you brew this MAOI containing vine with this DMT containing leaf that's found on the different side of the jungle in a big pot for four and a half hours until it's reduced to this much. And then you proportion it to this much based on people's body weight and psychological state, like that they would figure out if tea is better than just swallowing the leaf. Yeah, yeah. I, I just have that kind of faith in. The innate curiosity of mankind yeah, yeah. to discover the better method over trial and error like that. Just because it has such an effect that it was probably, they were probably selected for better effects over over time, maybe. Yeah, but, maybe. But I mean, no one selected for, I mean, I guess there's penis envy. Yeah. Um, which, yeah. which were, well, actually they weren't selected for their strength. Yeah. They they were I'm sorry no they they were selected for their strength and they just ended up looking like a penis. Oh, okay. Um, they weren't selected because they look like a penis. It's, it's a remarkable. It's all on, mushrooms kind of look like a penis. I, yeah. Have you seen penis envy ones? Like, I don't think I have. Uh, uh, I saw that um, Hamilton Hamilton did an yeah. episode on it. I gotta I mean, look it up now. Really good. Like like they're they're very long. They've got like no cap whatsoever, and they have a urethra. 
Like, it is spectacular <laughs> how phallic the <laughs> mushrooms can look. It's a really interesting interview by someone who is... This is what I love about Hamilton's podcast, and I'm I'm a, I am pod, I am Hamilton's podcast producer now. Yeah. So I'm cool. I've got just you get to listen to those interviews. On my shoulders. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hamilton's podcast. I'm a fan of it, yeah. so I'll put a link up to the um, check it out on Patreon. Patreon but yeah. um, as of today, no, I'm a subscriber. <laughs> yes, as of yesterday, he has a free sponsor-driven version of his Patreon content. So the Patreon content's cool. going to come out three to four times a week, and this is all new, original, uncut content. And then one of those per month of the already released Patreon content will be edited up a little bit to clean it up for a public audience, Yeah, um, maybe take out some sensitive names or things like that, or just content that we think the patreon community is a little uh, patreon community is a little more mature yeah um and able to handle without without harassing hamilton um <laughs> so we remove those things and then make them available publicly um so like on spotify apple Podcasts, anywhere yeah. um you receive your podcast called clandestine conversations with hamilton morris okay cool um, so that's a free version and the first episode came out this last weekend and it is with the man david rose is his um pseudonym who sold steve jobs his lsd oh wow that's cool yeah yeah i can't wait to listen to that it's that's a good awesome. one thank you soren shea for coming in bringing leaves the tree and for being my first live guest help us out by giving us a like subscribe rate comment Intro and outro music is Memories of Thailand by Risey. Mid-roll music was called One-Legged Equilibrist Polka by Circus Homunculus. The Kratom Science Podcast is written and produced by me, Brian Gallagher, for KratomScience.com. Take care.